from Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth, this is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. With special guests, Alison Edgar, MBE of The Entrepreneur's Godmother. I was invited to the Queen's Garden Party a few years ago and I said to my husband, do you want to go to the garden party? And he went, oh no, it's all right, you just take one of the girls from work. And Shannon Oxenham of Nuffield. Although it was traumatic for the teams, I think they really came together. The bond between NHS and private sector has really developed. We can work together. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce with another edition of our In Conversation With podcast. The first part is our Chamber Chat section and I'm delighted today to be joined by Alison Edgar, MBE, who is known as the Entrepreneur's Godmother. Hello, Alison. Hi, Stuart. Good to see you down there in lovely Plymouth. Yes, where are you? I'm in sunny Wiltshire today, despite the accent. That always throws people because they think I'm still in Scotland, but I'm actually in Wiltshire. Why are you not in God's own county down here in Devon. It's clearly this is the best part of the country. Well, do you know, one of the things that I love is the sea and you probably don't get anywhere more landlocked than Wiltshire. So, you know, you never say never, Stuart. Never say never. Good. So for those who don't know you, I should say, uh, Alison is known as the entrepreneur's godmother. She's helped some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. She's a mentor, boardroom advisor, a successful businesswoman, a mum. You've advised number 10 on startups and guided multiple entrepreneurs, including the Dragon Den winner and apprentice champion Alana Spencer. So that's quite an introduction, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite funny, Stuart, when you hear somebody putting like some of the things you've done in one sentence or one paragraph, and you think, oh, yeah, I have done all that. Because I think in life, sometimes you're so busy looking forward that you forget to look back at all the achievements that you've had. I was just amazed. Firstly, I was introduced to you by Rich Adams at the University of Plymouth. Thank you to him for that introduction, because that led to you helping us deliver a series of sales seminars or webinars to the chamber members and we got some fantastic feedback so thank you for that yeah and it was great because i met rich adams probably about six or seven years ago and then when he introduced us together it was like a match made in heaven wasn't it and as you see like the feedback from some of the people that had attended that event and i've had further feedback from them and how much increase they've had in their sales so that's what makes it worthwhile that's why i do what i do is to see the results that other people get yeah that's interesting i was thinking about this because sales is an interesting word for some people that sort of turns people off you think of the sort of slimy salesperson who's trying to make you buy something you don't want how do you see sales what do you think it's about well my little motto Stuart is when it's delivered correctly sales and customer service is exactly the same thing I just think if somebody doesn't need it it's your job as a salesperson to really dig into what the person needs and if they don't need it don't sell them that's not a good sale mm. like any relationship like whether it's a personal relationship relationship, business relationship, sales relationship. It works when both people are on the par. Sales is an interesting thing when it comes to business because I give a little analogy about the difference between sales and marketing being like golf and how marketing, your websites, your social media and everything, they sort of set it up, they put the tea in the ground and then us in sales, we take it down the fairway, put it in the green and put the ball in the hole and only when the ball goes in the hole do you make any money. But one of the things that does come with sales is rejection Mm. because not everybody is going to say yes to you. 
Whereas marketing doesn't really reject you, you know, you just mm-hmm. tiddle around, oh, I'll put a post out and, you know, you might get some person say something that's not particularly nice, but that can be deleted. Whereas in a sales relationship, sometimes a small business owner takes it personally because yeah. it's their baby that they've created that business. And when somebody either gives negative feedback or doesn't buy it, they do take it personally. So a lot of people avoid sales situations in preference for marketing because of the fear of rejection. That's interesting because that fear of rejection thing, I'm too sensitive. I couldn't be a salesperson, but are you thick-skinned? I think that I've trained my brain, Stuart, to focus on the things that I can control, not the things I can't. I know that statistically that not everyone is going to buy what I am selling or what I actually do. One of my little things, a coping mechanism, shall we say, happened. I left Scotland when I was actually 21. I turned 21 on the plane. And at that time, when I got to the airport, I was distraught. You know, I was in tears. And the man said, where are you going, Hen? And I said, well, I'm off to live in Cape Town. And he said, that's Cape Town's gain and Glasgow's loss. So every time somebody doesn't buy something from me, I just think, well, that's great because the next person will really appreciate what I do. So I think I'm a little marshmallow inside, Stuart, (laughs) but I've just learned it's a coping strategy that you're not going to sell to everyone all the time. It's the same as any relationship, isn't it? It's exactly the same principles. Alison, you've also taught some top brands, you know, Sky, Equifax, the NHS Discovery Channel about entrepreneurship. What's that all about? Yeah, so one of the things, Stuart, when I I was working and putting together the things that I teach. I thought, what is the thread that runs through the top performers? So there is a thread and there are things like tenaciousness. There's things like positivity. And I was putting together a package for a top high street retailer and they wanted me to work to improve the customer service. And I thought, well, how can I position that, that everybody will understand it? And this is where I came up with the what would I do if it was my, so getting employees to think like entrepreneurs. So what would I do if it was my first day? What would I do if it was my business? And what would I do if it was my granny? So Mm. they're looking at internal and external customer service. And that's where I thought, well, what is it? What's that name for people who think like entrepreneurs but actually work in an organization and take the paycheck Mm. and that's where entrepreneurship came up from it's not my concept believe it or not the white paper on entrepreneurship was written by a man called Gifford Pinshot the third in 1978 and entrepreneurship we think that's quite a new word don't we and Mm. I think you know a lot of things from Dragon's Den and Apprentice and things like that and you think entrepreneurship but entrepreneurship has been around since 1978. Something you said really resonated me there because I was on the webinars when you did our sales webinars what you're very good at is eloquently explaining in simple terms a concept and emotionalizing it and getting buy into it and I think that's your real gift is isn't it? Getting people to understand what could be a complex subject, but actually breaking it down into little simple chunks and things that everyone can understand. Yeah, I would say I'm a bit of a translator. And I think where that skill comes from, I'm neurodiverse. So I've got dyslexia. So I don't really have any formal qualifications. And a lot of the things, especially in academia, I find them really complicated. And it just goes over the top of my head. And I think I've taken it on my own back to be the champion as that translator to try and make things 
easy and not overcomplicated. And I'll give you an example. My new book, Smash It, The Art of Getting What You Want. There's a section on what do people want? So we've all got obviously individual things that we want, but where does that fit? And why do some people drive towards that and some people don't? And I thought, I've heard of this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but I can't really quite work out how it fits into everybody's everyday life. And what I've translated Maslow's into to make it comprehensible for everyone Hmm. is the Tom Hanks movie Castaway. So he's like at the top of the hill and then the plane crashes and it takes him right down. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have shelter. He doesn't have water. He wasn't secure. And, What's been really interesting during the time of writing the book, obviously we've had the pandemic and for a lot of people that's happened to them in their real life. You know, if you look at where they sat on the triangle and Maslow's and where they are now, and I just think, again, just making things understandable Everybody has got a thing. And, you know, I work with a lot of children, young people, maybe some of the troubled teens, some of the ones that have lost their path. And what I do is I work with them to find a thing because everybody has got one. And it's sometimes, you know, you're saying, well, that's one of your skills. If you'd have asked me that at 16, what would one of my skills going to be? Mm-hmm. That would never have been on the radar. So, again, I just think it's evolving and really working with people on getting the best out of what they have been given as their gifts. Yeah, it's absolutely absolutely true it's great when someone highlights what your strengths or skills are when you don't know them yourself i can remember i didn't know whether to be offended or not but a former sergeant who was my boss in the police said that i was a social chameleon and i said i'm not sure that's a compliment what do you mean and he said in the morning you were talking to princess anne and in the afternoon you were talking to a criminal you'd arrested and in the evening you were talking to a druggie who was collapsed at the side of the street and you adapted what you were doing to them and it wasn't in a cynical way it wasn't pretending to be something i wasn't it was just finding that common ground and i think I'm always actually grateful to that now, that sort of compliment. Yeah, well, as you know, I do the DISC model. I'm a DISC practitioner. And one of those things, I think emotional intelligence is how we would describe that, isn't Mm. it? And it is just how do you adapt to that situation? But it's amazing how many people don't have that to a certain degree. You know, their skills lie in other areas. Mm. But to me, having interpersonal skills, I think helps you in a lot of ways and you can overcome a lot of situations by using those skills. I think the other expression is winging it. I've managed to wing it by sort of waffling my way through these things, but there we go. Still to come. Shannon Oxenham of Nuffield. Do miss face-to-face, like as we have a lot of support within like the matrons network within Nuffield and it is nice to see people because I think you have a different conversation (laughs) face-to-face. Follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at Chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now. You've written a book. Well, you've now written two, but let's talk about the first, The Secrets of Successful Sales. And it became a bestseller. It's madness. I wrote it. And again, I think anybody that's thinking about writing a book or has written a book, there's two sort of fears. The first one is what happens if I spend all that time writing it and no one buys it? Mm. And then the real fear comes in. What happens if they buy it and they think it's rubbish? Because then you're like, oh, no. (laughs) That's even worse, yeah. There's two fears in there when you put yourself so far out there. Because writing a book, it's not something, you know, if you put a blog out, you can probably take the blog down. But once your book's out, the book's out. So Mm. it came out the 4th of March, I think it was, 2018. And it was Amazon number one around the world. It did really well. 
And then it became a WH Smith top 10 business book. And I think that was one of the highlights of my life. Again, don't forget, I'm not academic, but people would take pictures of it at like Gatwick Airport or Heathrow Airport or Paddington train station. Like I've got all these people who would go into the stores and go, look, your book. And it's like, ah, oh, I can't <laughs> believe that. And then the other thing was, it was voted by the independent newspaper as one of the top business books written by a woman that year. And It shouldn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, but the fact that The Independent highlights it as being one of the best books, it kind of makes it all worthwhile. And then the reviews, I mean, Stuart, I get messages from people like a couple of times a month. This is what I mean about when you write a book, you touch people's soul. And Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I got a review in from someone in Ireland and I thought, that's really strange. And it's sold in Ireland, don't get me wrong. But the first sales apprenticeship in Ireland, so the first ever are using my book as the textbook for sales. Like I get quite emotional when I say that. You know, sometimes you have to put yourself out there. You have to stop that fear of rejection Mm. because if you do feel you've got something magical to give to the world, by you not putting yourself out there because you're scared that people don't like it or they're scared that they comment badly on it, you're depriving people who really need your product or service of the magic it can work for them so yeah the book did really really well I still have to pinch myself when I see the success levels that it had what a lovely surprise so your second book is smash it which is the art of getting what you want how does that differ is it a sequel how is it different to the secrets of successful sales I'm going to give you a little secret now Stuart Shh. people were reading secrets of successful sales the book really was written for salespeople and for entrepreneurs that's who I wrote it for but people were using it in their real life how very dare they Stuart so people were using it to manage their time better you know their family time their work-life balance buying houses selling cars like negotiating with the car insurance companies it was written for that but it surprised me and I thought oh and because a lot of people have got the fear of sales or they don't like sales or they think it's sleazy, they would never buy that book because they don't think that what I teach applies to them. Mm. The crux of it came from two things. I did a TEDx. So my TEDx is called The Art of Getting What You Want. So it was based right. on the TEDx. And then the second thing was the case studies of the people who use the book for non-sales or business activities. That created the sort of foundation And then what I had to do was, how do I break all this stuff down to teach people to get what they want? Because Mm. this is the thing that I'm notorious for doing this. And so are my clients. Mm. They're notorious as well. So I had to really break it down. And it sort of splits into two parts. There's the me thing, because a lot of the time it's ourselves. It's ourselves that hold ourselves back. Mm. It's a personal, the thing between our ears, the voice Mm. in our head tells us no and we listen. So how do we switch that voice to tell us yes? That's the first part of the book. And then the second part is the we thing. So not the Scottish we thing, but the thing that involves us getting what we want when it involves someone else, because that's where the influence side of things comes into play. And again, a lot of books are about the me thing. A lot of books are about the we thing, but there's not many books out there that combine both. And then what I've done to take it to the next level, I've actually invested in an app. So I've developed an app which accompanies the book because you know yourself, you can read a book, but it won't make you take action. It's about the taking action that makes the changes. 
So the tasks that are in the book, there's lots of fun little tasks in there. You do those on the app. I mean, you can do them in the book if you want, but a lot of people don't like to write in a book. And the great thing is, can you imagine if you're talking about goal setting or getting what you want, sometimes it puts you under pressure, but can you imagine phone in hand Walking along the hole, looking at that beautiful sea, smell in the air, sun in your face, and you think, do you know what? I want that car or take up rollerblading or taking up running. I'm going to take a photo of that and I'm going to put it straight in my app. Then I can start to set the goals. So, again, you know, I've gone above and beyond writing the book to get the app to accompany it to actually help people to get what they want well do you know it was going to be a jokey question but now i'm actually going to get the book and the app because i was going to say what i want is a princess yacht if it'll help me get that that's fantastic because that is one of my dreams the other thing you've managed to achieve which you very modestly said was a shock to you but in 2020 you got an mbe in recognition of your long-term work with entrepreneurship and business again i'm pinching myself about that as well Stuart. like I mean, I think that's the ultimate recognition for the work that you do. And people say to me, oh, how do you stay so positive? How do you overcome the days when you don't feel like that? Well, again, I've trained my mind to think, like, you know, we talk about music. I did this when we spoke for the chamber, but waking up to things like take that and thinking today this could be the best day of my life. And I really genuinely believe every day I get up, I'm full of excitement. And that's what perpetuates how I live my life. And that's what perpetuates what I teach my clients. And it's interesting because lots of people in the coaching space or the business space will go, oh, you know, I've got an eight-figure turnover, blah, 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 blah. You know, I have got a good business, but the reason you get an MBE is not because you're the richest lady (laughs) in the room. It's about the efforts that you give to other people to help them achieve and to have that recognized you know the email came in during lockdown and I just burst into tears I couldn't believe it and I haven't been yet to the palace uh, Mm. to have my my day but I know that once things get back to normal I still have that to look forward to as well. Wonderful and who are you going to take because this is the part where we've actually talked a lot about your work but I want to talk about Alison who are you who are you taking I was invited to the Queen's Garden party a few years ago and I said to my husband because he's the one that grounds me and I said to him do you want to go to the garden party and he went oh no it's all right you just take one of the girls from work so I didn't take any of my family to the garden party so I am definitely going to take my husband and my son Kieran who's age 20 and my other son Connor who's age 19 so we will have a family day in London and I think how it works they split the family Families go into one area and the people who are getting the owner go into another one and then you can meet up at the end. So I will definitely have a nice day in London with my lovely family. And it sounds a bit cliched, but they are the rock that grounds me and you know, I have a great family life and I think that helps me to help other people. Funny you should talk about the garden party. I was very, very privileged to be asked to go to a garden party a few years ago to represent St Luke's Hospice. And I was so naive. I thought it would be me and Her Majesty and the Duke of Edinburgh flipping burgers on the lawn i didn't realize there's many many thousands of people there and and what i saw of the queen was a hat in the distance i held my then wife up above my head so she could see the queen but but it was still an incredible privilege and a wonderful experience it's amazing we were slightly late i know that sounds really bad but we had lunch before
before we went. So we were slightly late. And by the time we got there, there was no sandwiches or tea left. So we didn't even get the tea. We just got to walk around the gardens. Well, it was funny because they genuinely do cucumber sandwiches with the crust chopped off. And it's the politest way I've been sort of asked to leave ever. Not that I was thrown out, but the end of the event, they just sort of let you know it is time to go in a very, very polite way. So what's next for Alison? The next thing is moving across. So I'd say that the sales side still stays because that's the core things. With the restrictions coming out, which is really good, fingers crossed we'll be speaking at more events across the world. That's the vision board. That's the version of your yacht. That's what's on my vision board. And also looking at how I can help more people in the Smasher area because I think during lockdown, a lot of people have lost their mojo. They've lost direction. Mm. People have lost their closest family. And it's really hard to stay motivated. It's a wee bit like when the tank gets empty, how do you get up to full speed again? And that's where I think smash it, the art of getting what you want, will just give people that momentum to get their lives kick-started again. Yeah. And that's the plan over the next 12 months. And then who knows after that, Stuart? You know, there's big goals, but just keeping on, keeping on. And, you know, I did didn't start the business till I was 46 years old. I mean, I've got no plans to give it up. I just want to go harder, faster, stronger and help more people. Good. I, I'm very noble. Just to move towards wrapping up, do you have any heroes, heroines? Mine would not be traditional. I work really closely with young people. They inspire me. Their energy, their speed, just their dedication. And this is where, again, a lot of my young entrepreneurs, you don't know how you get an owner. But I would think the work that I do with young entrepreneurs would Mm. definitely have contributed. My team, I take them on either from graduates or I take them and I put them through apprenticeships. I've got a couple of Kickstarters with me. And you know what? Every day they just blow me away with just being them. So I would say Natasha, Kaya, Jazz, Gemma, all the people that have been through my organisation that stay in my life inspire me every day. And that's part of the reason I get up because during lockdown, I didn't furlough the team because I felt young people needed structure and direction. And I had to get up every day and find revenue when there was no revenue to be found to make sure that I paid the wages because they inspire me and I couldn't let them down. So I get quite emotional this year. No, I get it. A lot of people, that's not the answer they would give. It would be someday in the public eye. But without the team that support me underneath, I can't be Alison Edgar at MBE. So it's the bottom layers that inspire me, not the top layers. I'm completely with you. At our awards last year, right at the end I thanked my team and I completely choked up and I hadn't realised how proud of them I was and how much emotion I'd invested in them through what was a really really tough year so I completely get it and I think working with young people is always inspirational because they have such energy and such enthusiasm such passion and that keeps you young and energetic doesn't it that's why I only look 26 Stuart 24 (laughs) you say yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) look it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you thank you Alison thank you for taking time out your busy schedule to speak to us on the podcast with Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce just to wrap up if you have one bit of advice for my members to either businesses that have just started or are struggling and looking to the future what would it be i've got so many it's hard to put it into one but i would think that you should be going out there you should be smashing it and always go for what you want so i've been alison edgar i hope that helps it's been wonderful thank you so much really appreciate it alison edgar thanks for joining us thank you now, Chambermaid, introducing business owners from across the Southwest.
Hello there, and welcome back to part two of our Devon and Plymouth Chamber In Conversation With series. This is the Chamber Made part, where we speak to various Chamber members about their business and what they've done. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Shannon Oxenham, who's Hospital Matron and Director of Clinical Services at Nuffield. Is that correct? That is correct. Hi. Now, I've got to say, firstly, I've heard some interesting things about the Nuffield, which I'll come to in a minute. But I've got to start with this. Your title is Matron. You've got a badge on that says Matron. I do. So for someone of my age, that strikes an image of a sort of Hattie Jakes I was type, waiting for that. imposing <laughs> sort of character, which you clearly are not. So what is a matron now? There is the stereotypical Hattie Jakes jokes that I often get. I'm sure. I am quite tall, so that is usually part of the joke. <laughs> no, a matron nowadays is different to an NHS matron working in a private facility, but we're head of clinical services. The clinical teams come under me, the theatre manager, ward, all the clinical services, and it's working with the hospital director to obviously manage the hospital and the services so it's a very busy role <laughs> and so you've got a nursing background yes, yourself yes i'm so a nurse by background yeah good i mean i think it's really important mm-hmm. that clinicians run hospitals exactly. Exactly. I don't want to get political but it always helps when you understand what you are in charge of so to speak and as is often the way with people in a caring profession I found it almost impossible to get any information about you or get you to talk about you because people in caring professions go I don't want to talk about me I don't want to talk about the Nuffield I want to talk about the hospital so that's excellent and we will come to all the excellent stuff the Nuffield does but just tell us a bit about Shannon so that we know who we're talking to. (laughs) I've been a nurse for over 20 20 years now. Started my training back in Leicester. Grew up in Norfolk, done my training in Leicester, stayed in Leicester, then relocated to Plymouth in 2003, I think it was. Great decision. (laughs) And went straight to the Nuffield, actually, and my career started from there, really. It took off. I came as a plastics nurse because my background was working with the plastic surgeons, worked with the plastics team at the Nuffield. Then I became the outpatient manager and stayed doing that for a few years. And then I moved into occupational health. Instead of looking after patients, I was looking more at the team. And then I've been matron now for coming up to six years, yes. And in your time in plastics, did you work with James McDermott? At the Nuffield, I did. Yeah. He's set up his own hospital now. He has, yes. Not that I want to give him a plug or anything, but I was his business manager for 18 months. So James and I know each other very well, and he started Wood Medispa, Mm. hasn't he, which is out it. He's done incredibly well. Well, he's got dogged determination because he bought it, I can remember, when I was working for him was 2009, 10-ish, I think. He must have just bought it. He bought wood and we've written the business plans and then, of course, recession hit. Things changed and we had a sign outside that said opening 2009 and then it had a line through it. 10, 10, 11, 11, 12. (laughs) And in the end, we had to have coming soon and it is now open. At last, after... I know, it's incredible. It's a beautiful place. You've been up there and had a look? I have. Probably wasn't long after he bought it, I should think. I went up. It's a beautiful building and he's done incredibly well to make it into... But to make it look clinical as well, it looks beautiful, I do have to say. He'll still be coming to see us for more complex procedures that aren't suitable for there. But I remember the days when he used to have his helicopter arrive so in his helicopter. Why did you think I was <laughs> for a free ride in the helicopter, yeah. Um, yeah, being an aviation buff. No, yeah. we were flying friends, actually. That's how we met mm. through flying. And not that I've got a helicopter or a helicopter license, but I did have a private pilot's license. Mm. And at that time, he had a plane and I helped him out with a couple of projects. And before you mm. knew it, he asked me to run his clinics, which I did. Anyway, we're not here to talk about James or give him a free plug. Um, <laughs> by the way, James, still not a member of the chamber. We'll soon change that. We're here to talk about you and about the Nuffield. And, you know, here's some amazing things. 
things about what the Nuffield have done. I want to talk about the work you did during COVID particularly and how you supported the NHS. So how did the hospital adapt? It was incredibly difficult. I mean, the same for everyone. Back in March last year, none of us really knew what was going to happen. And initially, we thought we were going to be a COVID step down. So patients coming across from Dereford would come to us and that was quite frightening for the staff because no one really knew what COVID meant, what impact that was going to have. So there was a lot of nervous, upset teams. And then we were approached to support Dereford with their oncology service. And that was the initial plan that they would bring over their oncology service, the most vulnerable patients to come across to us. Although that was an amazing opportunity to support our local NHS hospital, it did mean that our theatre teams obviously wouldn't be working. And so they were relocated across back to Dereford and to KUK, who were carrying on operating, obviously, on urgent surgery. So that was quite a stressful time. And obviously everything was changing all the time. So being matron, it was trying to support the teams, but also every day was a different decision. And it's very hard to maintain a calm exterior, knowing that I don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. And today you're going to Dereford, but tomorrow you're going somewhere else. It was ever changing. It was very hard to support the teams. But the decision was made for oncology to come across and they came across very quickly So we had Brent Ward moved into our ward, the oncology ward. Our theatres were turned in a weekend into the day case chemotherapy unit. So that was completely different for us. And obviously the teams from Dereford came over and our clinical teams worked with them, which again was very stressful for the teams because all our services stopped overnight. So we were obviously not operating. So outpatient staff, pre-assessment staff are having to go in and look after patients. And it's very hard having patients at end of life, knowing that they had no visitors or we had to make a decision if at the right moment a patient could have a visitor. It was very hard supporting the teams. In the three months they were there, we had 13 deaths which is very sad it was very emotional a lot of the teams I think have quite a few emotional issues now that it's almost like a post-traumatic stress because it's just a situation we would never have been in and it was quite incredibly sad but I think the teams felt they really supported the patients that in their last moments we did as much as we could and there were some incredible moments I mean we managed to arrange a wedding which was just you had a wedding in the middle of Covid how did this go? It was the most beautiful wedding but the saddest wedding I've ever been to because obviously the reason they wanted to get married because unfortunately he was end of life but it was amazing how well they did it we transformed an area in the hospital into a party area they managed to support it from Dereford to get obviously the registrar and everything ready local businesses we had food we had flowers it was amazing how it happened but it was well, I don't think it's a wedding I'll ever forget yes yes I was lucky enough to be involved with St Luke's for Mm. 10 years and Mm. people think of hospices as sad places. The thing is actually they are places where sad things do happen but they're actually places where you hear a lot of laughter, a lot of joy and so you get a real satisfaction from doing something good. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's what the teams felt that they really had supported the patients and then the other extreme we supported Dereford was we had MIU minor injuries come over so we almost had two extremes of (laughs) our vulnerable patients in oncology and MIU which was a very different experience. Yes I'll bet so cut finger at one end of the building and serious illness at the other. So they were lovely they came across took over our outpatient department however we had to look at security because MIU was open from eight in the morning till ten at night and obviously there can be some interesting characters coming in so we had some interesting characters coming in and that was a whole different experience. MIU ended up staying till December 
So we had a relocated outpatient department for a very long time, but they did like it there and it did work quite well with them being there from their point of view. <laughs> from their point of view? Well, I think it's because they could do their work. They weren't pulled into ED and things like uh, that. So it did it. work quite well for them. Yeah, at a separate little satellite sometimes exactly, does, doesn't yeah. it? And that must have changed the whole dynamic of the hospital for mm. you, though, for the nothing. It really did because our teams were spread out across the hospital. Our theatre teams weren't even in the hospital. We had staff that would normally work in outpatients working up on the ward with Brent or when Brent relocated when the oncology service relocated we had to try and find somewhere to put our outpatient service because obviously Nuffield have the gyms we had the Devonshire right next door we managed to use some of their facilities to do outpatient clinics so it was kind of completely relocated hospital I went up there oh, did I you? just remembered this yeah yeah, yeah up I, at the I, Devonshire. Don't, I don't mind discussing my private medical stuff but I had a sort of mole that had gone a bit funny and Toby Chave oh yes uh, dermatologist uh, dermatologist yeah. I saw him up there and it was Mm -hmm. a very slick operation. The Mm -hmm. people were lovely, actually, and really helpful to get you through. And it did need relatively urgent treatment Mm -hmm. so that it didn't Mm -hmm. go bad. You sorted it out. So that was great. And they were lovely. I love what you get from the health service, from someone from outside that. You get this sense of camaraderie Mm -hmm. and fun. And that's, as I say, joy, actually. Although it was traumatic for the teams, I think they really came together. The bond between NHS and private sector has really developed. We can work together. It's not them and us. We're all part of a healthcare profession. So it was lovely to actually work together. I think a lot of us have developed relationships that will go on forever, really. It was nice. So despite obviously some very difficult and sad things that came out of COVID, there's some positives, aren't there? Mm, Definitely. My brother is a consultant radiologist in Winchester, and he was telling me that decisions that used to have to take 18 months to get through approval were happening overnight because you had to. And I hope you managed to keep some of that, that this sense of actually you can get things done, you can change quickly, you don't have to put something through a Definitely. long, drawn-out process. And I think it's always been an issue between private and healthcare and the NHS, and I think that's what's really, I think, is the most positive thing to come for healthcare out of this, is that working together, you can work together. A patient is a patient, regardless of what route they've come to you from. The amount of patients we did support, us as a hospital with MIU and oncology, I think it was 10,000 patients we actually helped during that period which is an amazing amount of people that possibly wouldn't have been seen. Yeah, it's not just the health sector, actually. So I'd say we've always had a good relationship with the public sector as the private sector as representing business. We now have a good and close relationship. And the COVID thing meant that the public sector needed us and we needed them. Mm -hmm. So now I would say our relationship with the city council, with Devon County Council, with the LEP is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, we trust each other. We know each other. We've worked together. And I understand you have a charitable COVID rehab programme. Yeah, Nuffield, obviously a charity and we try to obviously put something you back say obviously sorry I'm going to interrupt you. I didn't know Nuffield was I thought you were a big rich private hospital yeah put money back into our pockets no it's charity so all the profits mm-hmm. plough back into the service and there's quite a few charitable objectives we've got and one of them is supporting people with long Covid so it's quite a good recovery programme to support people through a recovery to try and get back to normal health because obviously long Covid is still relatively new we don't know a lot about it but it's looking at how to support people back using the gyms, using the emotional wellbeing teams to support people. We also have a joint pain project, which is helping people before they need surgery to see if they can, uh, with support from the PTs, to look at how they can manage their pain to carry on their activities of normal living. Pre-COVID, we supported schools with a swap education programme for schools to help them understand
understand more about activity, healthy eating, things like mm. that. So there's quite a few programmes that Nuffield do from a charitable point of view. And it's open to everybody and it's free access. But along COVID, definitely, we're looking at what we can do to support people. And from a staff point of view, they've done a lot of work with emotional well-being. Because obviously, at the moment, mental health is a difficult area. A lot of people are struggling to cope. And it's not necessarily work-related, but the emotional well-being team within Nuffield have done a really good programme. We've got online support for staff just to help them cope really because we've had people isolating we've had people not at work and it's that isolation and coming back to work which has been a very different experience and that's been quite a challenge in the hospital that people have had this experience with end-of-life patients and then you've had the vulnerable staff at home mm. which has been difficult in a different way but mm. they've had very different experiences which has caused a little of course. difficulties i'm sure if you'd like to feature on a future episode of in conversation with send an email to info at freshairstudios.com isn't it funny how people sort of revert to their own type i suppose and their characteristics i think during covid amplified and magnified so if you were the sort to get quite nervous and paranoid you'd be even more so if you were the sort that didn't like you know i'm quite i suppose claustrophobic i like to be out meeting people mm. i hated hated lockdown mm. hated it i was sadly recently divorced at the time of the lockdown at the very time i needed to be out seeing people you know, being just me and my dog was a bit difficult to say the least but the experiences what did they say that we're not in the same boat but we're in the same storm yeah. and the people who are on furlough you know some of my team we furloughed four of our staff some of them were i say happy to be furloughed but they understood and they just kind of got on with it others felt guilty that they weren't in the office helping out those in the office of course are thinking well i feel sorry for my people who are furloughed and not at work and they must be worried it was a difficult time so you're helping your staff through that yeah and, and patients and whatever, yeah. these programs the emotional well-being for staff is a separate programme to patients mm. but it's still seeing what we can help the public and the staff really it's unprecedented times isn't it none of us have mm. been in this situation and you have some patients now that say oh, i'll come in for my surgery after covid well when's that it's very COVID's difficult time, yeah. you know as boris says it's learning to live with it mm. and it's quite hard for some people we have some patients come in that haven't been anywhere apart from that's the first time they've been out mm. and we've got used to this divide you know the hospital has been divided that when patients come in for surgery they have to isolate for three days they have to have their covid test so we've divided the hospital into two and we have what we call a COVID secure is upstairs where ward and theatre are and downstairs is COVID safe in that no one's allowed to come into the hospital unless they're not symptomatic. Obviously, everyone wears a mask and that's our normal, our new normal. But for a lot of people coming in, it's something completely different. They're nervous. Cool. And at the very time you need your family around. Exactly. You're coming on your own. So we've had to make some adaptions that if there's clinical need for a patient to have a visitor, have some support, obviously we will enable that. But they have to isolate and have a COVID test as well. Very few patients have had an issue with it. A lot of people are accepting of what the new rules and regulations are really we've not really had any issues we weren't sure with mask wearing and covid test how people mm. would be but it's been very accepted and i think 99 percent of people are just grateful they've managed to have their surgery yeah. really because you know the waiting lists are horrendously long now and you know you're never going to get on top of that so we are still working with the nhs supporting waiting lists because they are incredibly long at the moment yeah scary times i mentioned i got friends and family in the nhs and tough tough times it so it's it good that your sector is able to help out as much as possible mm, they definitely and what were the positives that have come out of the last 18 months or so you know what do you think going forward will be done as a standard thing mm. that perhaps we should have done 
ages ago. Definitely. I think online, non-face-to-face, so telephone or video consultations are definitely something that is progressing. So there's some specialities you have to be seen face-to-face or there's only so much you can do non-face-to-face. But I think that has definitely changed things. And some follow-ups, you don't need to see someone. You can do it via telephone Mm. or video. I think that has changed a lot. And there's a lot more remote access now, which we never used Mm. to have. And I think generally we have a lot more ability now to use video calls I mean, we use Teams and I didn't really know what Teams was pre-COVID. And now it's like second nature to go on video, put your background on. It's all this whole new world now. Yeah, I'm glad and hope we adopt those things. No, I think that's definitely helped. I do miss face-to-face because we have a lot of support within like the matrons network within Nuffield. And it is nice to see people because I think you have a different conversation face-to-face. But it has enabled us to meet more regularly because obviously you haven't got that immense amount of travelling. I think the non-work thing that made me laugh the most was me and my friends did a Zoom gin cocktail making class, oh, which I, I thought was quite messy. a different experience in front of a computer. But it oh, was. A... <laughs> I did a family quiz. Oh yeah. Because now, if someone said to me, "Do you want to Zoom in the evening?" No, I do not. I've Zoomed all day. <laughs> yes, I've teamed all day. I've done WebEx. I think I counted the other day. I've got five different types of online meeting mm. platform mm. on my computer. In the evening, do I want to Zoom someone? Yeah. No, I blooming don't. But at the time, we had yeah. a family quiz. And I was rather amazed at how much I drank during <laughs> Because you just sit there mm. and away you go. But I'm glad that these technologies are moving on. What's the future technologies that excite you? I mean, I hear about in health, I'm not in health, but I hear about remote monitoring of patients where you wear technology that mm. lets you know if you've got a problem coming mm-hmm. up and that sort of thing. What excites you about the future of health? Well, everything's changing. There's robotic surgery, robotic assisted surgery. That's opening up into a massive amount now. So sorry. Why do we need that? I'm not sure I want a robot operating on they me. work with the surgeon they're not on their own so. they, don't let them <laughs> well, they probably will one day <laughs> yeah, well i'm sure they will no but what's the point? It enables a more accurate and more efficient surgery. Right. But it's so precise that yeah, yeah. obviously you program it. It makes it a more efficient surgery. So for a joint replacement, they're now doing urology, gynae. It's opening up into far more areas. Mm. So that's an amazing development. From joint replacement, you can replace virtually any joint finger joints you know anything can be a replacement now and the types of replacements they have it is amazing i thought exactly the same it's mm. like cracky look what you can actually do and how when i was i don't know nine i think it was i had an appendicitis mm. i was in hospital for two weeks that's a day case now isn't it in yeah. and out. length of time for post-op is reducing all the time we had a patient the other day for a hip replacement that went home the same day for us that's unheard of it is developing very quickly mm. there's new processes new ways of doing things all the time and if you look back 10 15 years it would have been 10 14 days you'd stay after a joint replacement you'd be in bed for the first five whereas now we would never dream of doing that yeah. worry about get, getting. Up, get out you, exactly you're yeah get back to where you're getting people up so quickly now and people are more motivated now they want to get up get going you know age is no barrier anymore is it well, that takes me back to those old carry on films where yeah. the ward was always full of slackers there was nothing wrong with them you know it was sid james pouring whiskey into his yeah. cigarette on the side and- <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that sort of thing, yeah. I mean, we do laugh about those times, but there were bits about that. My mum was a nurse. She was a midwife and a nurse. And she, towards the end of her life, obviously used the health services. And she was very supportive and understanding of the technologies and saying, you know, isn't that great? She hated that the hands-on caring standards that she was brought up with seemed to be missing when nurses talked across her 
bed rather than at her. Uh, that just really frustrated her. You know, she watched her own ECG right out and the nurse said, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. My mum was thinking, yes, there is. And sure enough, she'd had a heart attack. But that is what nursing training needs to ensure remains because you can look at a machine... But your instinct looking at a patient is very different. Well, and you, you'll always have that. Yeah, so I, I don't want to talk too much personal stuff. But my, I came back from a couple of days away. Mum was in hospital. I walked into the ward, went down to the end bay where she was with one of four. I looked at her and she looked ill, like really ill. I immediately got a nurse and the nurse said, look, it's not my bay, but I'll come and have mm. a look. Sure enough, seconds later, crash teams. Mm. She was being looked after properly. And the nurse said to me, I'm not going to cover for my colleagues. She said, I don't know why nobody's looked in on your mum. If you do nothing else, you just look at your patient mm, in the you eye. You can pick up so much. You know? And they hadn't done her vital signs, which, as my brother, the doctor, said, you know why they're called vital signs? Because <laughs> they're vital, <laughs> you know. Exactly. They're very You've probably heard that yes. you know, before a million times. But I've got a caveat all that. That sounds like I'm complaining about the service. The levels of care of some of it was incredible. Absolutely out of this world. And I've got nothing but respect for people in that caring mm. profession. Do you still love it? Do you still have a passion for it? Oh, definitely. I think once you're a nurse, you're always a nurse. I don't think you can ever get away from that. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of the team I work with now. They do care. And I think that is picked up by our satisfaction survey, the comments people make. Going back to when we had an oncology service, it was taking the time with the patients to wash their feet, to help them have a bath. The little things like that made so much difference. And it is important. It patient is care things. is important. The care mm-hmm. is what's forgotten sometimes, mm. isn't it? We fix the patient, the biology, the yeah. chemistry and the physics of it all, mm. but we forget there's a person in there. Exactly. And, mm. and I think that's what's nice about Nuffield is that we do care. We have time to care patients in their own room which is lovely for a patient and it does make it harder from a nursing point of view that you can't see your patients as easily but we have higher levels of nurse to patient ratios so that we can see the patients we can provide that self-care if it's needed obviously not every patient mm. does require it but that's why i've stayed at nuffield because we have that ability to look after our patients provide that service that every patient should get the nhs do an amazing job but, but they're stretched. They're stretched so much, and that's the sad part. The nurses we met, the teams we met are amazing, but they're struggling all the time from just having so much to do. And, you know, the business community has nothing but respect and support mm. for the health mm. sector. And I hope it's a positive trend on. Would you still recommend the caring professions to go into then? If your son or daughter said, I want to become a nurse, would you say do it? Definitely. It's a career for life. If you know you've got a caring personality and there's so many opportunities within nursing now, there's so many different avenues. It's an amazing place. And I've had so many different roles. There is so many opportunities. It's not just becoming a nurse to work on a ward. There's so many vast opportunities you could be a nurse on a cruise ship going to australia to work in itu it's just got so much scope and development yeah it's an amazing career i can't knock what i've experienced (laughs) well i'm glad you say that because i think we need more of people like you and please pass back to all your colleagues how much the public do appreciate what you've all done Mm. thank god there's people like you who care and look after people shannon thank you so much for coming in and telling us all about your work it's been an absolute delight to meet you and thank you so much thank you in conversation with is produced by fresh air studios full audio production services for podcasts live links and corporate communications visit freshairstudios.com presented by Stuart elford produced and engineered by paul philpot edited and mixed by martin burgess moon production support by lisa hartwell Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.